If you are new or maybe you haven't been here in a little while, we are in the middle of a series on the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote many of the books of the New Testament. And so we're looking at the book of Acts, which is, comes right after the four Gospels in the New Testament. We're, we're in Acts chapter 16. If you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and, and take it out. Turn to Acts 16. Um, we're going to be studying Acts kind of chapter by chapter each Sunday for a while. And uh, we're going to begin today in Acts 16, verse 16. So we're not going to go through the first 15 verses, but that little homework sheet that you have, that little white piece of paper, because there's some really cool stuff that happens in those first 15 verses. And if that's a, that's a great way to kind of have a guided study to gain some more insight using additional scriptures in the Bible to be able to kind of unpack that. And so I encourage you to, to make use of that. Uh, but basically, where we pick up the story is that Paul, in Acts 16, is now in Philippi. And he is there with uh, Timothy. And he is there um, with Luke, who is actually the writer of not only the Gospel of Luke, but also of Acts. And, uh, and he's there with Silas. So here they are in Philippi. You might have heard the name Philippi. It's from Philippians, that, the book in the Bible. So this is actually the place where that church, Philippians, was. Paul later writes a, uh, a letter to the Philippians. So here we go, verse 16. It says this. Uh, and this is, again, Luke writing. Uh, Once, when we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, first, first time reading this, I was like, man, that's like some great free advertising right there. I mean, here's this fortune tell, and then literally saying that what you're exactly, here's your mission. You're trying to proclaim the gospel, and she's basically helping you out here. But nonetheless, Paul says, no, forget that, man. Cast out this spirit. And then this is where things get really interesting. This is where the plot really starts to pick up. So it says, When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. So basically, they're just trumping up these charges, right? Because they're furious that they just lost their big moneymaker. And then it says the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father God, we thank you for this morning. Um, thank you that we can come here and um, we can worship you. We can uh, seek to learn more about you. Uh, Lord, Help us this morning, give us insight into your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, Paul and Silas now basically have infuriated these slave owners, and, uh, and now they're ordered to be stripped and beaten with rods. Now, I just want you to know that um, we've got a little visual, in case anybody falls asleep today. It could get really ugly for you. Um, but... Interestingly, uh, the rods that, that typically would have been used back then uh, during this time in the Roman Empire were 
close to this long. They were at least four feet long. And, uh, and they were thinner than this. They didn't have the comfort grip either at the bottom, which is kind of nice. But um, they, were, they were long and thin by design. So that, you ready, Super Dave? So that, um, you know, you could really get some nice momentum. And they were designed to be able to lacerate the skin. I mean, the Romans were... They, they were noted for their torture. They loved to torture people. They were big into humiliation and submission and really just beating the will out of you. And so, um, so they, were, they were beaten with rods. Now, according to Jewish law, um, they kind of had this mercy rule at about 40 uh, lashes where they would stop just kind of as an act of mercy because it was just so horrific. The Romans, they, there was no limit. It was just basically like as, as, as long as you wanted to go on. So it doesn't say how many times... They were um, beaten with the rods. But as we look in the next couple of verses there, it says that after they had been severely flogged, so you take your guess as to how many times they were beaten, it says then they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So we don't you know, know exactly what that jail looked like back then but we do know that typically what the inner cell would have been is is basically the most secure cell in the prison and typically this inner cell not only was the most secure where they would put kind of the the uh the, the worst of the criminals but we also know that that typically in the inner cell is where they would have some of the different torture devices that they could use on the prisoners as well and so it says that they fastened their feet the the, the jailer fastened the feet of paul and silas into stocks. Does anybody know what stocks are? Okay, a few of you. I think we got a, a picture here. Let's let's. So those are like what stocks are. They look actually fairly benign, don't they? No real big deal there. It just looks like a way that you wouldn't be able to get out. You fasten your feet in there, kind of lift up that the, the top plank and put it down on that second. And so you you know your your kind of your ankles are stuck in there. But it was actually kind of sneak, really sneaky way to just be brutal. Because what would happen is the stocks were designed to stretch your legs out nice and wide, okay, when they put your feet in there. And what would that do after a while? It would induce really horrific leg cramps for you. So now you have the picture. They're in the inner cell of the jail. Their feet are in these stocks. They've been beaten really, really badly. And then it says, this is the context then for verse 25, It says that about midnight, Paul and Silas, in the inner cell, feet in the stocks, were praying and singing hymns to God. Anything strike you as odd about that? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, from what we now know kind of about their situation, um, it, it makes sense to me that they would have been awake. Because, you know, you, you, it's not really a good way that you can be sleeping when your feet are in those stocks. I mean, so basically, they're up. I mean, if you think about the day that they've had, I mean, this is, they would be totally exhausted at this point. But I understand that they're awake. It's midnight, and they're awake. But here's the thing that hit me about this passage. How in the world are they praising God? I mean, this is crazy. They're like joyfully singing praises to God. What in the world is up with that? And, you know, okay, let's forget about Paul for a minute. Let's think about Silas, okay? Because, you know, at least Paul, Paul's the one who cast out the demon, right? 
I mean, so at least Paul can look back and be like, well, I did get myself into this mess. You know, I got really annoyed and I just cast out the... I mean, imagine if you're Silas. Silas was just like the, the, the accomplice in the crime. You know, he didn't really necessarily do anything wrong. He's just, he's just along for the ride. I'm thinking, man, if I'm Silas... And it actually brought me back to um, a story that I told a number of years ago. Some of you guys have heard this story about the summer that I lived in Ocean City, Maryland. It was after my senior year of college. And um, it was kind of my Silas... Uh, moment in my life. Um, so me and a bunch of buddies went out. We, we uh, rented a beach house for the summer, and we got odd jobs. And so um, I was out delivering pizzas. That's what I did that summer. And um, so I'm out. It's a Saturday night. My shift ended about 3 in the morning. And I come back, and there's like a rockin' party at my place, okay? So it's just, you know, music and everything. We got tons of people there. And so I walk in. I'm pretty tired. So I'm just like, just go back into the back bedroom just to, just to chill out for a minute. Next thing I know, one of the guys comes down the hall. He goes, hey, Derek, they want to see everyone who, you know, lives in the house. The police are here. So I'm like, okay, you know. So I come out and they said, do you live here? Yep. Um, can we see your driver's license? Yep, here you go. And said, and then I'll just stop right here. Just, so this was, this was for a noise violation. Does anybody know what the penalty is for a first-time offense for a noise violation is in Ocean City, Maryland? First-time offense. It's a night in jail. <laughs> At least it was. Back in 1998. Yeah, that's right. I'm not kidding. We, we lived there like two weeks maybe. So, so he, literally the next words is, okay, sir, turn around, put your hands behind your back. And I'm like, are you kidding me? For the stereo being too loud? So um, literally the paddy wagon comes up. I didn't know those things were actually like real, but like the paddy wagon comes up and they cart a whole bunch of us down to the Ocean City Jail. And, and I got to spend the night in jail with a guy who the, the officer said name was Bubba. Now... <laughs> I don't know if his name really was Bubba. It probably wasn't, but this was a huge man, huge man, and I was totally freaked out. And here's the thing. One of my roommates, the guy that threw the party, okay, he went to jail with me. He thought it was hilarious. He really did. He's just one of the, you know, certain people, they just, nothing, nothing affects them. You know what I'm saying? He just was laughing. He had a big smile on his face. Was, was I happy? Oh, man, I was, I was I was, I was not doing what Silas is doing here in this passage. I was not singing and praising God in that time, let me tell you. That's a true story. Um, so so they're, they're praising God. Here's Paul and Silas. I want to read something that Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. It's a, it's a letter to the, to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. This is Paul writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He writes these words. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, what's amazing to me, Paul gets a lot of cred for me right here. Because this is a guy who talks about rejoicing always and giving thanks in all circumstances. And, and in Acts 16, we actually see him living out these words. I mean, here he is in this inner cell, legs cramping up. No, I can't even imagine what his back looked like. And he is praising God. But here's the thing. Here's the question. How? How is he doing this? I mean, is he just doing this for show? Is he just doing it for spite? I mean, is he really rejoicing? Is he really happy? Is he really, does he really have a good attitude? How many people in this room, think about that. If that's the day you'd have that you'd be praising God, that you'd be singing out. So how does he do this? Well, what we learn from other places in Scripture and other things that Paul wrote, is that Paul 
had this foundational belief. He had this fundamental belief in the way that he saw things. And that was this, that God was at work in everything. Like, no matter what the situation was, no matter what the circumstance was, that God was always up to something. God was always in it somehow. God was about to do something. And so he was just able to rejoice, not necessarily seeing where God was in it or how God was going to move, but he just believed that God was at work. And that, that carried him. That helped him to rejoice in the midst of his suffering. Look at Romans 8.28. It's probably the, the most crystal clear verse you can get on, on this mentality that Paul has. Paul also wrote Romans. It says this, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Did you catch that? It says, In all things, God works works in all things god is always at work now just to be clear it doesn't mean that god is always the cause of the difficulty okay this verse here paul paul didn't have this belief that oh well god was the one that like caused us to get beaten with these rods and god's the one that you know that that really wanted our feet to be in these stocks okay god's not necessarily the cause of the bad circumstance but somehow some way god is involved in it that god is going to use it that god is going to redeem it somehow some way paul writes uh to the philippians in chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, he's writing from a different jail cell this time, and this is what he writes to them. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So even in jail, Paul believed that somehow, some way, God was using every situation and circumstance for his glory and ultimately for good. You see, because Paul believed that God was at work in the midst of his trials, it enabled Paul to be able to rejoice, to be able to praise God. Now, I want to take a time out. For a second because there are some of you in this room and you're what you're doing is your mind is going forward and you're thinking okay so are you just saying that whenever there's suffering whenever there's whatever the suffering is no matter how bad it is that we just have to believe that somehow god is in it using it for good like like if we've just had like tremendous loss in our life, right? We've lost somebody, just tragically lost somebody close to us. Or we've just found out that we have some terrible illness or disease that's going to afflict us for a very long time, might take our life. Or that we've just kind of realized that, that some of the dreams we have in this life are, probably aren't going to come true in this life. So are you just saying then that the, the answer to this, to this level of suffering, is just to simply say, well, just, just all you got to do is just believe that God's at work. Just believe that God's in it somehow. In your terrible, tragic situation, just believe God's at work. And then guess what? You can just rejoice. Just praise God. Does that work? It, it works, okay? It works for you, okay? 
But I'm, I'm going to tell you that for, for the great majority of folks that I have encountered, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. It, you might arrive at it later, but in the midst of that, if you hear someone just say, oh, hey, it's all good. Don't worry. You know, dry your tears. Because, you know, God's at work. God's going to use it. This is God's will for you, okay? I'm here to say that I don't think that those words are the words that we should speak. And here's why. One of the things we have to remember about this context of this story, okay, is that Paul is on a mission from God. Paul's on a mission trip, so to speak. How many of you in this room, I want to see your hands, have ever done like a, a mission trip of some sort? It could be like a day trip or longer than that, or maybe you've gotten served at a soup kitchen, or um, you've done something kind of with a faith-based organization, feeling like you were, you, you know, you were doing something, you were doing God's work. You were going to serve somebody, you know what I'm saying? So I want you to, to, to hold that in your mind for a minute, because you see, for those of you, if you've never done it, by the way, it, you, you got you to give it a shot. It, it's, an, it's an awesome thing, okay? For those of you who have done it, Here's the thing. When you go on a mission trip, okay, particularly if you go and serve uh, on an extended period of time, but if you go on a mission trip, you kind of have this sense that you're going to do God's work, right? More so, I think, sometimes than a lot of us would say when we're just going to work or we're going about our daily deal, you know, that we have this sense of, man, I'm really doing God's work. I mean, like, God is with me right? You're going down and you're just all pumped up and you believe that God's in it. You know, God's there with you. And when you go, you have just this heightened sense of God's presence and that God is at work. And what, what I find is that it's much easier for me to handle difficulty and, you know, trials and struggles that might happen when I'm kind of doing like a mission trip type of a deal. Because I just know that God's at work. I mean, it's just, you know, you just, you just believe that. And so it's much easier, I think, in those situations, and maybe some of you can think back to a time you were on a mission trip and it was tough, you know, but you were still able to rejoice. You were still able to be like, hey, you know, God's in there, God's with us, it's, it's great. And you just were kind of able to rejoice. Listen, Paul here is on a mission trip, okay? His mission trip was kind of his lifelong deal, but you've got to realize that Paul is on a mission. And the reason that I'm telling you this is because, you see, in this case, Paul's had a really bad day, but he clearly knows that God's up to something and God's going to do something with this. It's, he's on this mission trip. But this wasn't Paul in every single moment of his life. Paul wasn't, so I think sometimes we can kind of get this sense because Paul was this great, some call him the greatest Christian to ever walk the face of this earth, that Paul was like some superhuman guy. That Paul like never had struggles. That Paul, he was just amazing. Okay, here's the deal. Paul was just like you and me, except this guy was on fire for God like nobody in this place. Okay, this guy, this guy was so unbelievably on fire for God, but he, he was just a normal guy just like us. Okay, and what I, what I want to let you know is that Paul didn't rejoice every moment of his life. He didn't. In this story, he does. He's rejoicing in the midst of just a, a terrible day. But... In other places in scripture, we see Paul, and he's crying out to God. In 2 Corinthians 12, 8, 
He is struggling deep. He is suffering. He's being tormented. He can't figure out why. And it says three times, I cried out to God. I pleaded with God to take this thing away from me. Here is Paul in anguish. He is suffering. At other points, Paul is, he's writing and he's saying, you know, the things that I know I'm supposed to do, I don't do. And then the things that I'm, that I'm not supposed to do, I end up doing. And he's just, man, he's going crazy over this stuff. He's not rejoicing in those moments. He's not. Because in these times, when we have this deep suffering, okay, the stuff that's not just kind of like, man, it's, it's a, we're kind of on this mission trip and we're having a hard day, but the deep, unexplainable suffering of our life, you don't see Paul just, just like, oh yeah, just rejoice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all good. No, Paul, Paul goes through the same kind of process that many of us do. And it's really the same thing for us, if you think about it. You know, it's, it's one thing for us to be able to kind of rejoice in the midst of a tough situation when we're kind of on a mission trip when we are doing something and we really believe that we're doing this for God and God's in it. And so maybe, you know, we're just struggling or having a tough time. But when we face the real deep, unexplainable suffering of this life, it's much, much harder to see God in the midst of it. It just is. Those times when we just have tremendous loss or devastating news or lifelong battles that just we're never able to overcome. You know, that, that suffering that rips your heart out of your chest and leaves it just laying on the floor. And where you kind of sit back and you go, you know, God, I don't even know if you exist. How could you exist in the midst of this? This doesn't make any sense to me. In those moments, for me, it doesn't work if someone says to me, it's cool, God's in it. This is God's will. You know? God's going to use it. God's got a plan in this, okay? There may be a lot of truth in that. There may be a lot of scripture verses that you can line up and say, this is, this is spot on. But it, it, the, the, the suffering, the emotion is so deep, it's so painful, it's so emotional that something that's just kind of a, an intellectual thought or idea is, is not going to get at the heart of the problem. It doesn't work. Um, you know, there's a book of the Bible, and it's, it's dedicated to the topic of suffering. It's in the Old Testament. It's the book of Job. And um, this guy Job, uh, he experiences tremendous suffering in his life. He loses his fortune. He loses all of his children, tragically. And then he loses his health to where he is like tormented. He has like, I won't even go into what's going on with him. You have to read it for yourself. But everything is stripped away from him, okay? He is just the epitome of human suffering to the worst degree. And he has these friends who come along. And um, these friends come to him and they're, they're tr- really trying to be helpful. You know, he's searching, he's struggling. How did this happen? What's the deal? And his friends come up with all these things and, and they're like scriptural things. They're, 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 they're coming through and they're coming up with these theological ideas for, oh, you know, maybe it was this or this or you must have, you must have done something wrong or, th- you know, they had all these different ideas for him, okay? And they were trying to say all the right things and they actually said all the wrong things. They said all the wrong things. There was no good response. In fact, the best thing that the friends did, you want to know what it was? The very beginning of the story. Does anybody know what they did in the very beginning? 
they just sat with him. That's all they did. They didn't actually say a word. They just were present with him in his suffering. Okay? That was, that was the only thing. What's so mind-blowing about the book of Job, if you've never read it, you, you've got to read it. It's, it's an amazing read. God shows up at the end. Okay? And I'm not going to give away the ending. But even God does not answer Job in the way that Job wants, in the way that we would expect. Job is saying, how? Why? How did the... And God gives an answer, but it's a totally different answer than the kind of answer you think. It's actually not an answer. It's a series of questions back to Job. So even God himself doesn't get, try and give an answer to suffering here. I find that, um, you know, when, when I counsel people and they're really, really going through stuff, um, I, I, it's... I, I might have a bunch of things going on in my head that, that could potentially be reasons or explanations for the suffering, but, but I don't share those. Because typically what I find almost every single time is that people, when they're suffering, they just want you to sit with them. They just want you to listen to them. They just want you to identify with them and just to say that you're sorry and pray with them, but to not try and have an answer for their suffering. And even if people ask you, and take, take note of this, because, I mean, this has just been my experience, and, you know, I, I, who knows? I'm just one person. But my experience has been, even when people say to me, when they say, so how, like, why, did, like, they start asking these questions, right? They're like, why, or where is God in this? You know what I'm saying? Even then, they're not expecting you to give them, like, Romans 8.28. They're, they're not expecting you to say, well, here it is. It's just in one sentence. It's really simple. Do you see what the disconnect there is? Like, no matter what you gave them, no matter what verse in the Bible you gave them, it just comes across as so, here's this billion-dollar struggle or issue or thing, and it comes across, even if you mean it in the greatest way, it's just kind of this really, it's kind of this five-cent answer to this billion-dollar struggle. And so what I find is even when they're asking, why, 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 how, how, they're just really just, just expressing grief and frustration and joy. And I don't, I don't attempt to answer that question, even though there may be some things, intellectually speaking, that can, that can have some answer. If somebody keeps pressing and they do demand an answer, like they say, no, 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 I'm serious. I want to, I'm not leaving this room until you, you're a Christian. You tell me, what do you think? You know, how do you explain this? Here's what I say. I say, look, you know, I don't understand certain things about God. God is a divine mystery. But what I do know is that our God is a God who came down to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ and experienced the suffering of this life. Our God is not some distant God in the heavenlies who's kind of apathetic and doesn't care. Our God loves us so much that he demonstrated his love. He came down to this earth and he suffered for us. He, he knows our suffering because he lived among us. And so God actually suffers with us when we suffer. You know, when, when Jesus came to this earth, one of the names for Jesus was Emmanuel, which means what? Anybody know? God with us. God with us. That's one of the most amazing, mind-blowing things about Christianity that separates it from all other faiths. Is that through Jesus Christ, God actually came to this earth and understands our suffering. So God suffers with us, but not just that God suffers with us. Not only that God helps us get through it because, you know, he suffers with us, but also 
that God helps us to transcend our suffering. That actually, with God's help, we'll actually overcome suffering. And Revelation speaks about this. God tells us that um, in the life to come, we'll experience a new heaven and a new earth where there'll be no more suffering and no more pain and no more tears. So if I'm pressed, that's the answer that I would give. We have a God who suffers with us and ultimately helps us to transcend our suffering. But I just think, you just be so careful. And you will come across people in your life who are, are suffering so bad, and you want to give them, some, and, and you feel like they're, they're asking you for some grain of truth. And I, I'm just telling you, even if it's true, you just have to be really, really careful with how that might come across or how that might be received. You know, it's okay for someone who's gone through the suffering to stand up and say, well, I just, God was in it. And they can give their story because, because they're qualified to say that, you know? But for you to, to stand and say that to someone who's suffering, it, it oftentimes is just, I'm telling you, it's a total train wreck. And I know there are those of you in this room who would, who would raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I've, someone totally wrecked me because they, tried to, they were trying to help, but they just totally wrecked me. So just be so careful. This, this is such a sensitive topic. All right. How in the world do we get back on this story? All right. Um, let's, just, let's just jump right back in. So, so here's Paul and Silas. And their feet are in the stocks. They've just, they've been beaten mercilessly, you know, and here they are. I mean, if, if for people who, you know, are, are still kind of curious about the faith, they might be saying, man, this is evidence number one that, that Paul is totally on drugs here because here he is rejoicing and praising God. doesn't make any sense, all right? But here we are, okay? They're praising God. They're, they're on this mission, okay? Paul's on this mission from God, believes that God is in it, okay? And that God is at work, and sure enough, God is. Let's see what happens next. Verse 26. It says, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, he's about to kill himself. What's, what's going on there? What's the deal there? Was he worried the prisoners were going to come and, and get him? Were they, was he worried, fearful for, that they were going to take his life? No, 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 no. See, the Romans had this really great incentive program for their employees. And the incentive program was, don't let anybody escape, and we'll let you live. But if you let anybody escape, then we're going to torture and kill you. So the jailer's like, nah, I'm not going for the torture and kill thing. I'm just going to do it quick you know, fairly painlessly, I'm just going to take my own life. I don't want to be crucified or beaten or whatever, you know, whatever's going to happen to me. I'm not interested in that. So he pulls out his sword. He's ready to kill himself. And then look what it says. It says, but Paul shouted, wait, don't harm yourself. We're all here. So it says the jailer called for the lights. Then he rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. It says that then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Now, the word of the Lord, they said they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They were basically sharing the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ wasn't some man, but Jesus Christ was actually the Son of God who came to this earth. Okay? So they shared who Jesus was and they shared what Jesus did. Jesus died on a cross 
for us. He died, lived a perfect life, and then died on a cross for our sins so that by believing in him, we would be promised eternal life even though none of us can claim to live a righteous life without Jesus. And so it says that they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Fascinating story to me. Because you see, so God, you know, in the midst of this praise that's going on, God sends this earthquake and Paul and Silas are free. Chains come off, doors swing open. Okay, just let's stop for a second. If this is me, I am gone. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, think about the day you've had. Put yourself there just for a minute. You're beaten, your back's all messed up. You know, you got, finally got out of those stocks and you can, like, actually do this, you know? You're, like, you're moving your legs again. If I, if I, if I could actually walk on my legs without, like, falling over, I would have just high-tailed it out the door. As I'm done with the torture. I'm done with this. This is crazy. I'm gone, all right? I'd be focused on the door. Where's Paul focused? He's focused on the jailer. He's focused on the jailer. This is crazy to me. He is focused on the guy who put his feet in the stocks, who was in charge of oppressing him. You know, I don't know what picture you have in your mind when you think about the jailer, but I think about, like, the prison warden from, like, Shawshank Redemption or some of those other movies. He's, like, a big dude, you know, hardened, seen it all, you know, just like this, just this nasty, big, imposing guy. And, you know, I contrast that with, there's this, um, you know, don't put a lot of stock in this, but there's this extra biblical, which means outside the Bible, there's this extra biblical uh, record that, that just is a description of Paul, the Apostle Paul. And from this description, uh, you know, and it could be off, whatever, but Paul is described as kind of this small guy. Like, he's this not very imposing figure. So it just, it kind of strikes me as very ironic that here's the, you know, I think of this guy, like, all jacked up, you know, uh, but, but the prison warden, and he's, like, trembling, falling at the feet of this little man named Paul who's been just praising God. You see, this prison warden has probably heard it all. You know what I mean? He's probably seen it all. <laughs> I mean, I can't even imagine the depravity and the, and the, the stories that he's heard and, and all kinds of suffering and things that he's seen as a result of his job in this jail. But I bet you that he's never seen anything like this. Here are these two crazy guys who are in there for sharing this message of love. And then you know, they're, they're rejoicing in the midst of this terrible suffering. And then, boom, there's this earthquake. And it's just kind of this confirmation. The jailer is just like, oh, my God, this, God must be real for all these things to be able to line up like this. It, God must be real. And so the jailer falls at the feet of Paul and Silas. And he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. It's amazing. I just want to kind of leave you with... with uh, a little takeaway here as we conclude, and then the music team's going to come up here in just a second. Um, your faith and how you live out your faith is so powerful to those around you. And I know that you don't always feel that way, but it really is. And I will tell you, especially in the hard times, like, you know, whatever that difficulty, whatever that struggle is, um, and, you know, we, we just talked about how we're not, 
I, I don't think that, you know, you're supposed to be expected all the time to put on this happy face and to rejoice in the midst of tremendous suffering. But in those times when you have struggle, when you have, you know, when you're dealing with difficult situations, difficult circumstances, when people get glimpses of peace and joy, you know, there's just, they, they either think that you're a little crazy, like a little off, you know what I'm saying? Or, or they have to chalk it up to, there's something else going on here. God must be at work in this person's life. When people see that peace, when they see that joy, in the midst of difficulty, it really speaks to other people. It certainly spoke to the jailer here. And I got to tell you that for me, this, when life is difficult, this for me is when my faith really has value. You know, and, and I... I wish that I could say, and I've, I've confessed this, this is not some secret, but I wish that I could say that, that like, I was just always, just woo, for God. Like, just, you know, all the time, in the good times, and the bad times, that I was just always just right there, me and God. And I, I just, I, I, I that's, that's the goal for me. But I really struggle in the really good times. I'm kind of like, okay, God, I'm good. Like, I got it on cruise control here. I'm rolling, you know, I'll catch you in a little bit, you know. Um, but it's, it's when I'm really going through the battle, when I'm really struggling with things, that for me, that's when I cling to my relationship with God. That's where it, it really matters for me. Because that's when I get that strength that I don't have on my own. You know, that's when I get that peace that I'm craving that I don't have apart from God. And so, you know, I, I just want to encourage you in that. To, you know, God is there for us. God, God knows our struggles. He suffers with us. And... Um, so, you know, lean into God. God is there for you. Um, you know, if, if you've got something, and, and this has touched a nerve somewhere for you, either of something someone said to you that just really came across the wrong way, or maybe you're just really struggling here. Um, while the music team comes up, invite them to come up now. Um, our prayer team is going to be right over here, and they'll, they'll pray with you or if you don't want to do it right now, you wait till after the service ends and kind of people file out and the prayer team will still be here and you can have, you can just come up and, and they'll pray with you. Uh, this is a deep, deep stuff, but God is here for you and he loves you and he wants to help each and every one of us. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, this was a, uh, a tough topic this morning and um, we just thank you that um, you are a God who loves us enough to actually want to come down and experience this life as we experience it. That God, you suffer. You know our suffering because you've experienced it. Um, Lord, we thank you, although we don't know how. But we thank you, God, that um, you are with us. And when we don't have the answers, God, uh, Lord, just let us just kind of, just, I don't know, just 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 give that over to you. And, um, Lord, uh, help each one of us as we, as we wrestle, as we struggle, and, and as we encounter others who are suffering. God, give us the wisdom, the wisdom and the sensitivity to be able to say the right thing in the midst of that suffering. I especially want to pray for everyone here right now who is just really going through it, really, really suffering, God. Help them, God. Be with them in a special, special way. We give this last song to you as our worship. In Christ's name.